What's up? What's up, bitches? Welcome back to Positively Uncensored, your favorite reality TV and interview podcast. It's your host, Leah, and I feel like I've been out for a little, so hello, everyone. I miss all of you. There's been so many new shows to keep up with, and the premiere of Real Housewives of New York and Love Island USA both happened this week, and I can't wait to get into them. This episode, I want to let you all know that my episode with Tiff um, did not end up happening, Um, so I'm working on getting that reset up. Things happen in people's lives. I totally understand that. Um, I have all of my questions set up to, you know, hopefully talk with them, but just kind of waiting to get that rescheduled. It's a learning lesson for me as I podcast to, you know, maybe not put stuff out there until I've actually recorded it. But at the same time, I get so excited. I love to share with all of you as soon as I have something big on the books and planned. So I'm still manifesting that we're going to get that episode recorded. I'm super excited for it. Don't give up hope. And if you've not seen The Ultimatum Queer Love on Netflix, it gives you some extra time to go ahead and watch the show so you can prep before I have that interview. This episode, like I said, I'm going to be recapping the new season of Love Island USA. We're only one episode that's out. I'm going to recap Real Housewives of New York, which is the revamp because we did away with the old problematic cast. Bye-bye. And I'm going to talk about The Bachelorette. We had a good week this week. I mean, I finally got to see Brayden go home. Spoiler alert. That's what I've been waiting for. Um, And it gives me a chance to like kind of chime in on the things that I'm excited about with this season. So without further ado, let's start with Love Island. I was not excited for this at first. I'm going to be honest. When I put on my story and gave everybody the option between Love Island and Too Hot to Handle, at first Too Hot to Handle was winning by a landslide, and I was like, okay, okay. And then Love Island just swept it out of the gates. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be into this season. It was on the Vegas Strip last time. I just really couldn't get immersed, but I actually really liked episode one budgets must have gone up, budget increase, because we are not stuck in the Vegas Strip anymore. We have moved on to Fiji. They are right on the water. It's actually a really nice spot that they have for this season. And, you know, already that kind of pulls me in more. I'm like, okay, budget increase. It might be a better season, better casting. I'm in. I am going to be honest. I want to stand in female alliance with Sarah Hyland being the host, but I just don't think she's right for this show. Um, I've thought that since the other seasons. I still think that after watching episode one, you can't convince me that she's the perfect pick to host this season. Um, Being that she's married to Wells, who shout out everyone Bachelor Nation listening, I'd almost rather see him host it, Um, like a male host. Why not? Um, But yeah, I'm not sold on Sarah Hyland as the host. You'll have to let me know if listening, you have the same thoughts or if you think she's perfect. Maybe you can sway me. Every time I say convince me, I picture that guy, um, that meme where he's like sitting outside at the table and it says like convince me something is real. That's what I picture. So convince me Sarah Hyland is a good host. 
So let's get into the promo. I love Love Island UK, especially for how they do like the initial like meeting of the cast, like whatever the intro is that they have all of the cast, like doing something from their daily lives and then changing into what they're going to wear in the villa. I love that part. I'm not sure what they were going for with this season of Love Island. It was kind of giving early 2000s, like Y2K, Degrassi sort of vibes. Um, I, I sort of think that with the budget increase, we could have done better on the intro. However, I'm super excited about the cast. Most of the cast is super, super young, um, which I know is common on other seasons of Love Island, but I can't hope but wish that like we increase the age. Like Everyone who's been watching Love Island and watching The Bachelor, we've all been watching for a long time. And it would almost be nice to see the show like age with us. I know that that's a little bit selfish, but I would like to see people in their late 20s, early 30s in the villa um, to see how they interact. I don't think that people are completely healed versions of themselves just because they're in their late 20s, early 30s. So I'm sure it would still be good for television. Anyways, first two people to enter the villa is Anna and KK. KK is 24. She's from Texas. She said she's work, She's on all the apps looking for love and nothing has been working for her. She has drove four hours for a date before, so she is kind of like a hopeless romantic. She's willing to put it all out there for love. I loved KK. First impressions, I'm sold. She's like petite, small. She's super cute. I love her. On to Anna. So Anna is a criminal justice major. Um, she's She reminds me of, in the nicest way possible, like the typical white girl who thinks that she works for the FBI just because she snooped on her boyfriend's phone or because she's helped her friends like find someone on Facebook. That reminds me of Anna. I guess her dad is a detective, so she has some stock in the criminal justice field. I'm not trying to disempower women, but there's a certain type of... I know that if you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. Those girls who just swear that they'd be, they should be in the FBI just because they can snoop on someone's Facebook. That's what Anna reminds me of. Also, she's giving like a nurse and um, like early education educator to me. Like she seems like a teacher vibe. I can already see her handwriting in my head. Super bubbly. Um, Casey came in the villa next. She's 22 from Fort Worth, Texas, and she tells her mom everything. She says the guys call her crazy, but really it's guys that make you crazy. And I liked that. I was like, you know what? I I fuck with Casey for that because that's true. Men can make you crazy. Like you can see someone go into a relationship and they're completely normal and then when they leave that relationship, they're a completely different person and they have all of these um, like new traumas that they have, that they have like projected onto their life, like all these new insecurities. Um, unhealed men can really do that in relationships as can women, but unhealed men, I get it, Casey. When Destiny shows up, she was the next to come in the villa instantly. Great vibes from Destiny. She walks in and she's like, are these my summertime best friends? I loved it. She has two degrees, which in her words makes her two degrees hotter. 
just everything about Destiny I'm obsessed with. She's a scientist. She seems kind of nerdy, but she's just like a super hot nerd. She wants a man with brains and beauty. So she says that because she's super outgoing, she wants a man who's nonchalant. The whole opposites attract vibes. Destiny's my favorite right out the gate. I just loved her personality. Jasmine came in next. She is the party girl. She's 24 years old. She's eccentric. She's from Nashville. She's a nurse who says that when she's not at work, she is feral. Girl, that's another thing. 24-year-olds, young 20-year-olds love to say the word feral for the most basic things. Like, I don't think they really know what that word means. I think it's like a TikTok trend. Um, But going out and drinking does not make you feral. Anyways, she describes herself as being feral. Um, If a guy is not a freak in the sheets, she said she can't do it. So physical attention, PDA, that's a big deal for Jasmine. Sarah Hyland sits down to Kiki with all the girls before the men come in and she asks them, you know, what are you here for? And Casey showing her age in a very positive way was like, I'm not here for a husband. I just want to find someone to be serious with, hopefully take home to my family. So I liked that part and like the realism. It would never fly in The Bachelor. Like if you're if you're listening to this, like flashbacks from Brayden, that level of honesty would never thrive for that show, which end goal is marriage. But for Love Island, Casey, you're on the right show. You're on the right track. I respect that. Versus, I can't remember who says it, but somebody brought a wedding dress with them. So some people are all in end game and some people are just there to hopefully find someone and probably get media attention. Don't blame either. Men, men, men. In come the men. So Leonardo is our first man to come in. I didn't catch his age. Not sure if he even says it. He's from Connecticut. He's Dominican. He, I can tell that like speaking Spanish is half of his personality. He's one of those guys that you meet that is going to, you know, talk to you in Spanish and try to like he just uses his accent, you know, like if it's like if you, if you meet someone who's French or something, um, it's the equivalent, somebody who has an accent, okay, that is very attractive. It's, it reminds me of people who have blue and green eyes and they just stare at you and wait for you to say something. Same with men with like long hair or curly hair. Like it's just, they they expect you to be so grateful for how outwardly sexy they think they are that, sorry, it's just corny to me. That reminds me of Leonardo. Um, he looks like a short king. One of the girls said that she's into short kings. I think it was Anna. So immediately, I'm thinking that Anna's going to be interested in this guy, if I had to guess. In walks Marco. He was next. 22 years old. That was the first red flag. Second one is that he's from Youngstown, Ohio. I'm from Ohio. I know Youngstown. <laughs> Red flags flying high at this point. He leads with the fact that his body count is 72 and he's studying to be a chiropractor. Um, Being someone that's dating a chiropractor, I would immediately cancel my appointments with him. Uh, Your chiropractor touches you. Like it's a very physical appointment just because they have to move your body and manipulate it to get the adjustments and you you leave feeling great. But I wouldn't want someone who is so outwardly sexual. Like, I I can't imagine him adjusting 
an athlete, like a female athlete or somebody coming from the gym. I, I just feel like his mind would be elsewhere. And it's one of those situations where you feel uncomfortable because your doctor is probably checking you out. So sorry, that's my rant. Creepy to say that on television when you're pursuing a doctorate, in my opinion. Um, anyways, I'm mostly hating on him because he's from Youngstown, Ohio. I'm from Ohio. I just knew he was going to be weird. We're weird from Ohio. Um, when he walks in, Destiny and Jasmine move. So they're playing this new game for the this season. And the girls have the opportunity to, when a new guy comes in the villa, they can either stay where they are with that guy or they can move and, you know, be interested in another guy. However, other girls can move too, so they may end up with options there. Um, but whoever they leave prior, you can't go back to them for this coupling. So Destiny and Jasmine move from the little heart-shaped lily pad, and they go over to Marco, and everybody else stays put. Then comes Victor. He's 28. He's from Atlanta. And he looks like a combination of Brock Davies and Jason Momoa. And he looks like he knows it and he uses it. As I mentioned, when someone uses their accent and long hair as an example, like he does both. Like he knows that he looks like a romance novel character and that is a lot of his personality. Um, However, Victor... I'm not going to come for Victor because he's 28, so I already like the fact that he's older. And he shows a lot of emotional intelligence as the show goes on. So Victor out the gate, you know, I kind of do like a snarky roast of all of them, especially the men, mostly the men. Um, And that's just what I thought when I looked at him. If you're a Vanderpump Rules fan, look at this guy and tell me like he doesn't look like a crossover Brock Davies and Jason Momoa. Anyways, when he walks in, everybody's like, oh my God, I love your hair. It's Aquaman. He's been hearing this his whole life. Nothing new. Even the host says it. And I'm like, Sarah, come on, bitch. Like, you don't have to give in to what this guy wants. This is where I feel bad for Victor. Nobody moves for him. Like, all of the girls look at him and off of first impressions, nobody moves. So... That's kind of, that kind of sucks. I I said when I was watching this, if that happened to me, just because I do have an ego, that would make me feel like shit. Like I would want my first impression to be captivating. I wouldn't want it to all be about looks, but I would want people to be interested in me right away. I don't want to grow on someone. What the fuck? Like I want you to be interested right away. So Keenan came next. He's 23. He's a young guy. He's from Washington, D.C., And I couldn't really even remember everything that he said. Maybe it's because he was attractive. Maybe it's because I was distracted. But I don't really remember what he said about himself other than I just liked him. Like, I like his energy. I thought he was cute. And KK moves for him, which made me happy because they look great together. When he talks later, Keenan reminds me of the type of man who you can tell has dated and loves black women. He do, he doesn't strike me as someone that's going to go in there and be interested in the skinny blonde white girl. Like the compliments that he gives KK later on in the show are so nice and it just makes me like him. I love to see black women loved and respected and given the props and attention they deserve. So Shout out to Keenan. He hypes up KK, and I like to see that. I think they're a cute couple together. Bergie, hit it, Bergie. 
every time I come around, Bergie's the last guy to come in. He goes by Bergie. I think his real name was something a little less interesting, but his last name was Bergman or something. So he goes by Bergie. He's a general manager at Dairy Queen. Um, and his mom died when he was four. So that inspired him to write letters to his future wife after reading the letters that his mom left for him. So I kind of like Bergie, okay? He's... He looks young. I didn't, I didn't write down his age nor hear him reveal it. He looks like he would be around 22. I know that he was, you know, applying for college or like graduate school or something. So I'm not judging him on his job at all. Um, he kind of looks like the kid from Meet the Millers or We're the Millers who is singing. But he's cute. Like he's cute in a very average American boy type way. He would, he would grow on me, I guess, which is exactly the opposite of what I said I would want a second ago, but Bergie could grow on you. Um, for him, no one moves. <laughs> and again, I feel bad. Like I'm like, ugh. I can't imagine how they actually feel standing there because none of the women move for him. He's just kind of left to his own. And when that happens at the end, the guys who have multiple women on their heart, after they pick who they want to couple up with, the other women, you know, the guys who were left over get to decide between. So it's kind of like everybody has the opportunity to feel like sloppy seconds. Um, but I get it. Like they have to couple up somehow. So the initial couples after everybody split up is Leonardo and Casey. He ends up picking Casey over Anna. So, with that being said, Anna gets stole by Bergie, who I just talked about. Aesthetically, I knew that they were going to be together. Marco ends up choosing Destiny, which I was really happy about because they just had chemistry standing together. Even though I said I was a Marco naysayer, and I don't like how his fuckboy fuck vibes just permeate throughout him, um... Maybe if he can change his attitude, like him and Destiny could be cute. Destiny deserves somebody good. I'll say that right now. So if Marco isn't that person, get him the fuck out of the villa. Uh, Victor couples up with Jasmine and Keenan and KK stay together, which I love. So after all the couples are together, they're all talking around the villa and basically have the opportunity to feel each other out. Is there chemistry? Are they compatible? Or do they have their eyes on somebody else and have the opportunity to have a conversation? So it's mostly about talking with your match, but you do have the options and opportunities to talk with the other people in the villa. Um, Victor and Jasmine talk and she asks Victor, who's the Jason Momoa lookalike, what his number one ick is. And he says partying a lot, which whoop, hairs are raised because that's Jasmine. She loves to party a lot. She typically picks a bad boy. Now, this is where I look at them and I say, it could be yin and yang. Like maybe she needs to chill out a little and like he is able to like get an outlet and explore, I don't know, being more eccentric or being more... What's it called when you're like an outspoken person? You know what word I'm thinking of as you're listening to this. Um, so he can be more like that. We let we get to see Bergie and Anna talk, and she's doing most of the talking, which looking at Anna, I already know is going to be a problem. She's one of those girls who 
wants to be pined after. She wants the guy to ask the questions. She looks like she comes from the very stereotypical gender norm home. So I already know that she's not going to be into this, that he's not her cup of tea physically because she was eyeing the short king, Leo, Leonardo, when when he walked in. So it's not going to fly. He reveals he's never had a girlfriend, and she says that's not a red flag. You know, that's kind of cute. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, just be honest, Anna. That's a red flag to you. Like, you are looking at him and thinking, this is a red flag. Like, how inexperienced are you? Because he looks inexperienced, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he looks, I think he was from Minnesota or North Dakota. He looks like he would be a Dairy Queen general manager at North Dakota. He's like Wonder Bread White, you know. He, he, he doesn't have anything to him. What you see is what you get. And that's fine. For certain people, that's safe. And that's perfect. Not for Anna. I can tell that that's not what she wants. In her mind, she wants something different. And because her dad is a detective, she has these weird issues with liking bad boys while also trying to put them behind bars, question mark. I'm not meaning to come for Anna, there's just a lot of anomalies in her personality. I'm I'm open to Anna and liking her. At the end, we see emotion from her. So take what I'm saying with a grain of salt and know that I'm an Aquarius and I'm super sarcastic. So at the end of the day, I respect all of them for coming on television and letting us watch everything. So my mind's open. As I said earlier, Keenan is great. He's complimenting KK. He talks about how her edges are laid, how good her skin looks, how good her smell is, um, how she has the most beautiful vixen eyes, and you can tell everything by looking at the eyes, just hyping, gassing her up in every way. I liked their interaction. I feel like they seem like they just have a lot of chemistry. Like maybe it almost seems like they knew each other. Um, I know it's night one, but I have high hopes for Keenan and KK. And also those names just sound really cute together. Do they not? Reminder to drink your water. I just had a sip of coffee, but drink your water. Um, It's morning, so I'm waking up. So let's get back into it. Exploring other conversations that are happening. Anna kind of sneaks around and she gets the opportunity to talk to Leo, the short king, the one who didn't choose her. Um, And ultimately he says to her, what's your type? Which we know if you're a Love Island fan is is a sneaky way to say, am I? Like, am I your type? Like picture the emoji with the two fingers pointing in at each other. Like, am I your type? That that's kind of what he was asking. So she's like, you're my type. You're my total type which is no surprise. I called that from the second I saw that. So I feel like it doesn't show this. I'm wondering if I missed it. I don't think Leo tells who he's coupled up with. I don't think he tells Casey that Anna's interested in him, um, which I guess he doesn't technically have to, but I don't think that, you know, he lets her know And then when we see the elimination later, I feel like this plays into it. Anna has planted the seed. She's kind of interested in him. And then Sarah Highland walks in, you know, conveniently almost right after that. And she says, hey, you have to decide amongst yourselves as couples who is the least compatible. Well, no surprise, Leo and Casey pick, you know, Bergie and Anna. 
However, I'm like wondering, and you have to let me know what you thought and your perspective. I'm wondering if in the back of Leonardo's mind, he's not thinking, I'm going to keep, I'm going to vote them because I want them to split and I want the opportunity to explore connection with Anna. Anyways, when they publicly say, okay, I guess we have to pick Anna and Bergie. Anna kind of smirks. I'm not sure if it's a great edit by production um, or if she truly just kind of like smirked a little to herself. But I think she told Leonardo specifically that she was his type intentionally to plant that seed and hopefully couple up with him later on. I saw it from the second I saw her. Everybody else votes and Victor and Jasmine get one vote. But for the most part, everybody else votes for Anna and Bergie, including themselves. And I'm like, have you guys seen the show before? Like it, whoever is voted least compatible, one of you is at risk of going home. So I don't know if they didn't know that. I don't know if Anna knew that. And she's like, well, I'm the only one who kind of has a connection because I took a moment to talk to Leo. And I know that Bergie's not connecting with anybody else because nobody picked him. So I don't know if she's just really smart and strategic or if they just truly didn't know. Anyways... They choose themselves and ultimately have to decide between the two of them who's going to go home. This was a shock because I really thought the villa might be, be the deciders or maybe even America, like who goes home. But Bergie goes home and we see Anna cry and feel bad. And he does the gentlemanly thing and tell her, it's not your fault that I didn't have a connection here. I would feel guilty being here and sleeping in an empty bed knowing that you went home. So don't worry about it. That's where I give claps to Bergie. That's where I said, you know, he Bergie's like a safe choice. What you see is what you get. He's just a Midwest boy. He's not a bad boy. He doesn't have any, you know, stellar hobbies that are going to surprise you. He he goes to work and makes ice cream and he's going to come home and want dinner. That That's who Bergie is. But he is a gentleman and he takes himself out. And then... We hear the text alert at the end. As Bergie's in his like one-on-one interview, he gets a text saying that he's being given a second shot and he gets to like join a thruple or I'm not sure if they're going to bring someone in new for him, but the show ends with Bergie being sent home and in the same breath getting another shot at love. I kind of think that as bad as I felt for Bergie, they could have just let him go home. I'm not really sure that anybody else at that villa is his match. I'm not sure that the show is really right for him. Um, I think there are other shows or just simply maybe he should just get uh, set his distance on Tinder or his apps to like 50 miles. And I think that he could find someone he's very compatible with in his own area. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, is that mean? I'm sure it is. Sorry, I just laughed so loud in your ears, but... It's the truth. It's it's the truth. He could find someone that he aligns with very well by just opening up Tinder, opening up Hinge, and exploring 30 miles outside of what he's used to. If he hears this and he's already set his parameters to 100 miles, go to South Dakota. Like, go one state over. I'm saying I think he can find it closer than he thinks without going all the way to Fiji. But nonetheless, given the principle of he left in a gentlemanly fashion... I'm excited for him to, I guess, get a second shot at love. Let's get into Real Housewives of New York. I know everybody has been waiting for it and wondering what this season's going to be like. And I have to say the first episode kind of delivered. So 
quick ad and we're going to get right into it. Real Housewives of New York revamp. We weren't sure if we wanted it. We weren't sure if it was going to be good. We weren't sure if it was needed. But nonetheless, we got it. And it kind of ate. It kind of did. I have to give credit where credit is due. And not only did the cast feel like a better representation of New York City, because it was not all white women, um, it just felt like they maybe all didn't hate each other. Like, I definitely already sensed the the potential for a lot of clash. But they started off the season on a note where I'm like, maybe they, maybe some of them are friends before. You know, it, it kind of felt like seeing Atlanta, like early seasons, which I'm watching right now. Um, you know, like I could tell that they're sort of friends. Um, I like how interesting all of the women are on their own as well. All of them have business ventures or all of them have something going on. And they have very eccentric personalities. Shout out to the casting directors. They did pick stars for this show. So let's get into it. We've got Sai, Uba, Aaron, Jenna, Jessel, and Bryn. That, is that everybody? It says Liz. I'm not remembering a Liz. Let me look at this photo. Liz. No, it's Bryn, Jessel, Cy, Aaron, Jenna, Uba. That's the cast. Sorry. I had to look at the photo so I can see everyone. And then Andy's in the middle. That's the cast. I don't know if maybe we're going to be meeting someone later on that has that name. But like I said, each of these women is interesting on their own. I liked their intros. And... Because this is taking place in 2023, starting out, I like just how modern it is. I like seeing all of their apartments. I like seeing what they're wearing. I like hearing them talk shit about the restaurants that they don't like and what's cool to do in New York. Being that I'm just a state away in Jersey, I'm like, oh my God, like, let me write down. Like, where do they say to go? Where do they not go? Just because option to see them, hell yeah, I'm in. So Sai seems like the one of the group who everybody can agree is cool. Like Jenna, Jenna's kind of up there too, but I feel like as viewers, we love Jenna and I feel like the cast does too, but they think she's quirky and we appreciate the quirkiness, but just in the terms of being a cool girl, I think Sai is the deemed cool girl of the group. It seems like everybody mutually thinks that she has great style. She has a great career. Um, she says what's on her mind. She's, she's a boss bitch. Like, I think that that's how they view Sai. Bryn reminds me of Grace Lily from Southern Hospitality. And if you haven't watched that show, I can't say that you missed out, but you kind of did. There was only like one season, I think. It, it didn't get renewed from my understanding, but it was sort of like Southern Charm, same city. And it was all these bartenders in Charleston. And Grace Lily was one of them with the same sort of personality as Bryn. They also look alike, which was what prompted me to think of them. Overly sexual, always making something into an innuendo, always talking about someone's dad and older men. That's Bryn. And you know what? You've got a lover for it just because it adds to the show. Like you need, I guess, someone to say some stuff that's really out of pocket and like, where did that come from? That's going to be Bryn. Even in her first Watch What Happens Live, she threw so much shade at 
another cast member, which we'll get into later. Bryn seems like she was meant for reality television. And Grace Lily, too. So get that girl on Winter House or something else because Southern Hospitality's over. The two of them, look them up. They're doppelgangers. Jessel's twins. So we get to see inside of everybody's life. Um, I don't want to be too judgy right off the bat because... I can imagine that having this film crew and opening up your lives makes things very stressful. But Jessel was not very nice to her husband, Pavat. I think that's his name. Uh, she was just kind of snapping at him for everything that he did. And her twin boys gave me anxiety. Lots of children give me anxiety. Um, the closest relation to me, my sister, my best friend... Uh, everybody's children sort of give me anxiety. That's why I don't have children. Loud children, loud sounds give me anxiety. And Jessel's kids was a reminder that you can't control your children. You know, like your children as she, I think she called them like liquid coffee or something. Um, they're always moving. Like, and you, if they have all that energy, you can't judge them for it. You can't be mad at them for it. You just have to love them and keep them busy and occupied. And that is why I am not a mother yet. And that was a reminder because I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for all the loudness and the chaos. And I pray for all of my friends and close family that, you know, can handle that. You guys deserve major credit where credit is due. Being a mother and father is the most selfless, all-consuming job of all time. It's not to be taken lightly, and I give credit to every mother for that reason. So I'm not blaming Jessel at all. She, Her kids are great. They're just kids. They're kids being kids. And for dealing with that, I'm sure that also makes her a little on edge. So I'm not judging her, but she's very type A, and I think the film crew being in there is really adding a lot of pressure for things to look perfect, be perfect, and naturally some projection is going to happen. I would do the same thing. I would not be great on television. So reminder, Leah, stay on birth control, either go back on birth control, something. We want to know what restaurant they were talking shit about. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm going to just be super honest. I've even messaged some of the cast, like what's the restaurant? Because I want to know. I want to bring that tea to you guys. We hear them talk about Casa Cipriani. And that's apparently the good restaurant where everybody was okay being photographed at. But the restaurant that's beeped out both during the show and on Watch Whatever. (laughs) On Watch What Happens Live. What's happening? What is it? And why don't they want to go there? I'm picturing like Buca de Beppo. And I guess also it's sort of like preserving that restaurant both for Yelp reviews and for people who do go there it's kind of classist to just deem a restaurant like a d-list model because by the way being a d-list model you're still on people's radar like a lot of people would love to be a d-list model so there's still that sense of being out of touch and maybe that just exists for like a certain genre of people in New York, right? The same happens for people in California. You know, some people are just at that level where they're in fantasy land and everything is for publicity um, and everything is curated. And so these women represent that. And it's the real housewives. So this isn't just the New Yorkers. This is the real housewives. So I guess it is a representation of what those kinds of women do in New York. Their social spots are super important. 
we just want to know where. Aaron had issues the entire episode. Aaron looks like she wants to look like Jennifer Aniston. There's people who are so stuck on Rachel's style and haircut from friends that their entire life, entire personality is always to emulate that. Just like how some people are are so obsessed with Pamela Anderson um, and they want to emulate that and how they look. There, there's, there's certain people in style history that people try to emulate and Aaron wants to look like Jennifer Aniston. She does kind of, um, but... Aaron was the one that bothered me the most. Like, I am bothered by someone who seems like they coast by on, like, white mediocrity. And that kind of seems like Aaron. Um, and she just kind of seems like a Karen. Aaron and Karen rhyme together, even. Like, I just... Aaron, Aaron like, triggers me for some reason. Something about Aaron just pisses me the fuck off. And she had issues all episode. She was mad at the girls who didn't want to go to the restaurant that was bleeped out all episode where she had a planned dinner. Um, I guess Cy, Bryn, and maybe a few of the other girls, once they found out the name of this restaurant that was compared to being D-list, no one should go there... They dipped and went to another restaurant that was their wavelength or they would be photographed at, and they ate there instead. So Erin's pissed. I get it, sort of. You know, she's like, what the fuck? You could have at least just said you were going there. On that same token, Erin, shut the fuck up. I know that there has to be some sort of entertainment level for episode one, but Erin's just so whiny. Like, if I saw that... I would probably laugh, be like, okay, I guess I'm not going back to that restaurant. Major shade towards me. I'm out of touch. I don't have taste right now. Or you just sit in it like, damn, you guys are so classist or damn, you guys are so materialistic. This food was good. You guys are bitches and move on. But Aaron was pissy about it and kept bringing it up all episode. Bryn told Sai that Aaron thought that she was rude for the cheese that she was served and not eating it. And that's where Aaron just is a Karen. Like, she she polices people on where they go to eat, and you can't back out of Aaron's dinner reservations. If you don't eat the cheese that she has out, she's going to be mad at you. Like, she watches everybody at social interactions, and everybody has to please Aaron. Like, She's one of those people that's like, fix your face. If you're not happy the entire time you're with me, you're dragging down the group or what's your problem? Aaron's just bother me, guys. Aaron's bother me. I'm hoping to maybe like Aaron throughout the season. I'm not going to put the hopes that high, okay? I'm, I'm just not. I'm going to call it what it is. There's also rumors that Aaron might be a trumper. I can't not forget that. So that's in my head too. Aaron might be completely out of touch. Um, Uba says that she eats six bananas a day. And I wrote that down because I was like, is that the key? Like, do I need to be eating? They try to tell women to not eat bananas. I don't know if you've heard that, if you remember that rumor, but don't eat bananas. There's so much sugar in it. You'll gain weight if you eat bananas. Uba eats six bananas a day and she looks phenomenal. If Uba eats six bananas, I might eat six bananas. If you've ever seen Vanderpump Rules and you remember, it's not about the pasta from James Kennedy, 
that's just what I felt like by the end of this episode with the word cheese. Like air, like the cheese is just brought up in conversation after conversation. It's brought up at the Watch What Happens Live. And that's the piece where I'm like, okay, this is reality television. Don't let it bother you, Leah. But just articulate yourself better. It's not about the fucking cheese. You were pissed because you feel like she's trying to publicly embarrass you. She's trying to say what you're, what you're interested in, what you bring is not to my standards, your low class or whatever. Like that's what she's really heard about. That's what she's really pressed about. So I wish she would just say that. It's not about the fucking pasta. It's not about the cheese. Aaron, say what it's really about that's bothering you and speak up. I'm excited for episode two. Jenna was cool as fuck. She had so much cheese at her house. Like fondue and brie and tables and tables of cheese. And her house was stunning. Like one of the main points of the entire episode is that Jenna's house and her style is 10 out of 10. 10. She had these boobs on her pillowcases, like booby pillowcases. I want them. I want to know where it's from. I want to know where her jewelry is from. I love her outfits. She kept her cool while the women are literally trying on her clothes and playing dress up in her closet and her nice ass clothes. She tried to throw a cashmere and khaki party and she's a designer. Like she's a fashion designer. Um, no one shows up in khaki really. They said that, um, they're basically like, no, that's a, like that's for safaris or that's a material. It's not a color. I'm not wearing that. Um, and you know what? Jenna wasn't that pressed about it. Like she wasn't mad about it the way that Aaron would have been if everyone showed up to Aaron's party and didn't have on the correct outfit. That would have been meltdown mode for Aaron episode one. Jenna handled it chill. She didn't correct anybody as they're trying on her clothes. I like Jenna. I think that this season, like I said, is going to be fun. I think it's going to be good. I think it gives the opportunity to potentially explore a couple of other Real Housewives franchises that need an update. Beverly Hills, Orange County. So let's see if that happens. Do not touch Atlanta because I'm on season nine and I'm loving it. Um, I'm hoping that it just keeps getting better and better. But we can revamp more of these franchises. Get the stale blood the fuck out of here. Let's just get rid of these problematic women who have been on Bravo for way too long. Bring in new people. That's my concession on Real Housewives of New York. Speaking of new people... Jumping topics for just a second. If you've seen the news, Vanderpump Rules is bringing in new castmates for season 11. I'm not sure if that's because Raquel is not coming back, so they're trying to add something. Um, I don't understand Vanderpump right now. You would think that if they are bringing back the originals, so Jax, Kristen, Brittany, potentially Stassi, you would think if they're bringing all of them back that you wouldn't need new cast members, but supposedly there's going to be new cast. Katie Maloney and Lala are reaching out to their friends um, to kind of like cast from within their friendships already. Just like yawn, like yawn. Katie and Lala are, are, are both bitter at this point. 
Like, I, I like them, but in terms of reality television, they're coming across as bitter. They're not nice to newcomers. And it almost is like they have to pick someone within their own friend groups because anybody else, they're going to treat exactly the way that they did Raquel and even Ariana back in the beginning. If they're not already friends with them and you come in and you're pretty, good fucking luck. Um, they had minimal interaction with Allie and, you know, for whatever reason, she just got a pass, sort of. But I'm not that excited about bringing in new cast members. Let me know what all of you think. But to be honest, I'm not excited about next season unless both Tom and Raquel are back. Like, that's it for me. I want to see the awkwardness in the group. I don't care if they don't want to film together. You have to, because that's what people want to see. We want to see you guys struggle to talk. We want to see Ariana and Tom bump into each other at the restaurant. We want to see them have to go into Tom and Tom's restaurants and pick sides. We want to see Sheena not be able to stick with not being friends with Tom and what unfurls between her and Ariana, because Ariana will have a fucking cow. This is what we want to see. We want to see Tom Sandoval's weird undercover private girlfriend come on the series we want to see all of ariana's thoughts and her boyfriend like i can't even that's my rant on vanderpump if you disagree let me know but i'm not i'm not super stoked about a new cast nor am i super stoked about the spinoff for vanderpump in vegas like for this show in particular the, what makes it interesting is who we were watching from season one. And I don't think it would be fun to watch with a revamped cast. I mean, are they going to make weekly appearances there or something to like tie in the two shows together? I'm not sure. Not feeling that great about it. Let me know your thoughts. Send me a message or leave me a comment on this episode and let me know what you think about Vanderpump. Let's talk about The Bachelorette. I have kind of been holding out on this season because right now I'm doing things only that bring me joy. And I have found joy in watching The Bachelorette. I like to watch it. But feeling the pressure to record right after. Um, these, these episodes are long. Half the time I can't even get through them night one just because the time slot changed. It comes on at nine. Um, and it's just not fun to have to feel pressured to recap something, um, when not that much either happens or someone is on the show and I really don't like them. And I really didn't like Brayden at all. I didn't like him at all. I almost didn't even want to watch the show, but because I love Xander, is it not Xander, Xavier, Xavier and Doton, I'm and Charity, I'm watching, like I'm watching for the three of them mostly Aaron is starting to annoy me a little bit, so he's off the list. But now that Brayden's gone, and fucking finally, I'm going to talk about the show. So this week was a great episode. Great, great episode. Because not only, I've already started with this, is Brayden gone, which it was time for him to go pack up your scarves, pack up your earrings, pack up your attitude, Pack up your judgment towards charity for dating multiple men, which was the whole premise of this show, and see you later. Just see ya. He reminds me so much of Johnny Depp that that's also why it's just like a fight or flight reaction. Like it's just, 
he's another person like Aaron that I look at and they just piss me off. So he's gone, which, um, you know, he kind of sent himself home, sort of. I wish that Charity just was completely the one to say, get the fuck out of here. You are a waste of time. Shut him down. But she's polite. She's a Southern girl. She's polite. Um, you know, she does have boundaries with Brayden, but it felt like ultimately he sent himself home. And going back, we get to see a date with Jotun. They go, I knew this was going to happen. Like as soon as I read in his bio that he wrote, absolutely will not go bungee jumping. That's an opportunity for the cast right there. Producers are going to jump on that. He's going bungee jumping. I knew that was coming this season, just not sure when. So him and Charity go bungee jumping together off of a huge bridge in Washington because they're in Washington this episode. And it was it was so cute. First of all, I would never consider bungee jumping. And watching the two of them do it, I'm like, hmm, it doesn't look that bad. Like, if you watch someone go before you and it's safe, like, maybe it's possible. For me, it's the head rush thing. I'm headache prone. Like, not too sure I would like that. Um, But they, like, hugged each other. He's afraid of heights. She's afraid of heights. And somehow they both comfort each other through this process. And not only do they do the bungee jump once, but they do it twice with each other. And seeing them get over this obstacle that's outside of their comfort zone was really affirming to me as having picked Doton as like a front runner from the beginning. I think that they complement each other so well. And in prior episodes, Doton has shined through because of his ability to really speak to charity. Like his words of affirmation are so beautiful. I, I feel like when he talks about charity, it's not just about her appearances. He speaks to her emotional intelligence, to her vulnerability, um, to her charisma, all of it. He talks about who charity is as a whole and how she makes him feel. And there's a level of comfort that I see between the two of them that I think that he's end game. They have chemistry. He's super tall. Charity looks like a little kid from the back. Like she is so cute. Her little legs, her little pants are always baggy on her because her legs are just so tiny, but she just looks like a little old woman or like a little kid from the back. But the two of them look so good together. It's a great date. I loved seeing it. He gets a rose literally no surprise as he should and then later on in the episode we get to see a date with Xavier I don't know how to pronounce his name like somebody tell me is it Xavier pronounced like with a z or is it Xavier anyways we get to see a date with the two of them and he is also someone I picked as a front runner he's very complimentative I think that they have a physical chemistry I think that he is so fun and confident and affirmative of her looks that she worries that there's nothing deeper. I also think that he is so attractive and potentially resembles someone physically that she's dated before because, you know, something about him is like triggering to her. Like, I think Charity's projecting a little bit from a prior relationship, which is completely understandable. We all do, but she says it herself. He reminds her of her ex who just 
really wasn't that serious about her. He looked like he said the right things. He looked like he was invested and could reciprocate in love. But ultimately, infidelity was an issue. And, you know, he tries to assure her that his biggest worry is to not have his love reciprocated because, you know, begging for love and not being able to be vulnerable ever is what he experienced in the last relationship. So when he talks... I feel like there's a lot of sustenance there. I feel like he's being honest. I hope that he was able to like dismantle her guard a little bit by confirming that he's emotionally intelligent. He gives to his partner. I cried when he talked about how he just wants to be there for his partner. And he gives the example, like, I will do anything for my partner. If I love you, I will do anything for you. I'm studying, you know, science and disease for my mom who has MS. My dad takes care of her. And seeing that example is so huge. There are so many relationships where when the woman gets sick, it's not in sickness and in health. She's left she's not cared for. Um, that That's a fear of a lot of women and rightfully so because once you can't have children or once you can't aesthetically look the way your partner would like you to look, you feel scared as if your worth um, in the relationship has gone down enough to where they don't want to be with you. Like your value is tied to what you can accomplish and how much you as a woman can care for your spouse, your children, whomever, how much you can care for someone else. So when women have to be cared for with extra attentiveness, a lot of times that's not met. And that's just the reality. So him having that example of his father supporting his wife and taking care of her while she's not able to do all of those things and then for that to motivate him to want to care for his partner and then study to learn more about the disease it shows like he will go through all the lengths to take care of someone he loves if charity got sick he would study the disease that she had and learn how to like help her prevent it just because he loves her I think they have the potential to be a great couple Um, lots of chemistry there. Like I said, it's a lot of physical affirmation, which is a little unsettling to charity because I'm sure as a beautiful woman, a lot of her, um, her compliments are in that anyways. So I'm sure that emotional compliments like Doton has been giving is more what she aligns with. I hope that him revealing his story about his mom and what he needs in a partner was enough for charity. Like I said, to really lean into that because I think that they could be great. Getting to Brayden. As I mentioned, he goes home this episode. You know, it's revealed that he doesn't know if at the end of this experiment or the end of this process, he can get down on one knee. And he kind of says, you know, look, I don't know if I can get down on one knee. Everybody else can, apparently. I guess I'm in the wrong. Um, I think it's best that I go home. So he goes home and then comes back. Like, I don't even know why he comes back because he doesn't ask to stay, really. Um, He just comes back and basically takes the opportunity to tell the other men that they were fake and he is real and everyone acting like they know what's going to happen in this process, like he's wrong. And John takes this opportunity 
He's the one who I said looks like Sheen from Jimmy Neutron. He takes the opportunity to tell Brayden, fuck you, bro. You've taken up time from all of us. I barely had time to get to know her. Elimination is tonight, and I'm definitely going home now because the entire conversation is about you, and you came back in the middle of my conversation, and now I'm going home. And John was right. I knew John's ass was going home. And it's not just because of Brayden either. John's going home because he had no connection with Charity. Let's be real. Caleb too. Caleb ultimately goes home at the end of this episode. He has no connection with Charity. Now, I'm glad Brayden's gone, but he was real about his feelings. He was upfront about them. My only issue is just don't come on this show. It's not the Brayden show. This was about Charity and her journey and finding a husband so if you have an issue with dating multiple men or if you have an issue with proposing immediately you shouldn't come on this show immediately you're going to make her feel bad about her own process so that was my issue with him it really doesn't have that much to do with the fact he looks like johnny depp it was more just how he made charity feel bad for exploring what she's supposed to in this process and he doesn't need to be here any longer At the end of the episode, I think we're left with either five or six guys. She's got three roses only to give next week, I think. Like, it's crazy how fast the weeks are flying by. I'm pretty sure hometowns, yeah, hometowns are the 7th of August. So two weeks away from hometowns. It's crazy. The season's flying. As I said, since the beginning, I'm really thinking Doton and Xavier are endgame. I think that we can all agree that Aaron will probably be in the final. I think Tanner's going home. Sean is going home. I'm sorry, but I listened to two black girls, one Rose, and they said that Sean looks like Chucky and not Ken, and I can't see anything else since then. Like, send Chucky home. He doesn't need to be here anymore. I'm sorry. Wrong doll. Wrong show. He knows that he wants to end up on Paradise. Just send him there and spare us. Like, spare us the fake connection, spare us the cashmere, get him out of here. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I love you all. It's been a minute since I've been on here. I'm going to do something fun, and soon I'm going to start a Twitch. I'm going to do watch parties, so I'm going to watch this, like, old reality shows and commentate them as I'm watching. I'll let you all know as soon as you can sign up. Make sure that you are already following me on Instagram, on TikTok. Support me in all the ways if you're loving the show. And if you haven't left a review already, please leave a review. I've been getting a couple more lately, and it just helps so much with visibility, people finding the podcast easier, and it just makes me feel good. It makes me feel like people are listening and like they like what I have to say and like you want to hear more. So I hope all of you have a great rest of your week. Let me know what you thought about these three shows. Stay tuned for more Love Island, more recaps, and more interviews. I will be having more soon. Let me know what shows you want to hear from. Bye!